Like most things today, care pathways in healthcare are increasingly becoming digitized. We see so much more digital technology being used to follow and support patients through their healthcare journeys. With more and more of a need to be patient-centric and efficient at the same time, are digital care pathways the solution? Well, with me today is Ron Tenenbaum from The Clinician. And in this episode, we'll dive into value-based care, proms and prems, remote patient monitoring, digital care pathways, and a lot more. Collaboration starts with the conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. Ron Tannenbaum. He's the CEO and co-founder of The Clinician, who are enabling the management of patient-generated health data and help replace manual, inefficient processes with digitally enabled care pathways. Ron brings with him 15 years of international healthcare and informatics experience. He's trained and worked as a neurosurgeon in multiple global healthcare settings. And Ron went on to found the company after immersing himself in value-based care at the Stanford University X-Med program. Hey, Ron, how are you going? Thank you. Thank you. I'm good. And I'm a bit intimidated from this uh, intro. <laughs> <laughs> not even, not even. Your, your experience does the same to me. So it's uh, we're mutually intimidated. So it should make for a uh, hopefully a good conversation. But it's great to have you from across the ditch. I don't even know what time zone difference it is these days. We've just switched off daylight savings now. So I feel like it's a good time. Though. Yes. It's 11 o'clock here on Monday, yeah. 4th of April here in, in Auckland, New Zealand. Yeah. Nice one. Nice one. Well, well, tell me a bit more about yourself and what you're doing over there in Auckland. Sure. sure. Thank you, Peter. So I'm the father of two wonderful boys and married to my better half with a New Zealander. And this is how I ended up in this part of the world. I was actually born in Israel, spent the majority of my adult life in Italy, where I completed my medical studies and trained in neurosurgery. My passion has always been there for both medicine and technology, took me through the different intersections throughout my career. But at a certain point, they merged when I decided to found the company in 2014. This is a little bit about me. Nice one. Nice one. Well, keen to learn a bit more about the company then. Tell us a bit about the clinician. So the clinician is a digital health company. We're committed to redefining how healthcare is measured, delivered, and valued. We developed a proprietary system called ZDoc for capturing and managing the data that supports value-based care models. The solution was originally designed for healthcare systems, primarily public systems, but for the past two years, extended the offering both to the private sector, but also to payers and the life science market. At its core, it measures outcomes in clinical routine care at the right point for each individual patient. In fact, it works best when it is connected to other systems, such as the patient administration system or the EMR, where it ultimately sends the result to. Talking about the results, the data is analyzed in real time and is available to clinicians, but it also triggers what is called actionable insights. So providers can take action and prevent things like readmissions and others when this information is imported back. 
So coming from a clinical role yourself and then coming into this world, usually that occurs when you've seen a problem firsthand and then get in there and solve it yourself. Is that the story here? Yes, yes. No, that's that's definitely the story. Look, I've been measuring problems throughout my medical career. I was short if you compare to others in my in my age, but when I was measuring the primarily PROMs, I was looking at what is called the macro method that we can't really know what we don't know. And I didn't know how patient-reported measures, how the, the stack of outcome measures fits within the health organization. If you're looking at the meso and macro, each one of these layers in healthcare systems is using the PROMs to basically support the uh, delivery of value-based models. I'll just mm. mention maybe for the micro, which is the patient and clinicians, prompts can help deliver more effective, engaging, and patient-centric healthcare. In meso, prompts enable better understanding of outcomes and cost across treatment. It would also be uh, not just treatment, it would also be sites and providers. So the ability basically to benchmark. And in macro, prompts facilitate the overall shift to value-based healthcare where you take this outcome data and put it at the center of your policy making. Mm-hmm. And for those that maybe only have a surface level understanding of PROMS, you know, it seems to say it in the name as well, patient reported outcome measures. So is it from a patient's perspective, it's how the patient says they've gone in terms of treatment and that's what patient reported outcome measures are? Yes, it's pretty much that, but there's a bit of a subtlety. Patient reported outcomes it's basically any time a patient sits with a clinician or a light health provider and reports their subjective perspective, if you'd like, of their health status. When that happens in an encounter, the provider then takes it and transforms it into objective data. So they're basically interpreting what the patient is telling them right in front of them and taking the subjective and turning it into objective Patient-reported outcome measures are the instruments that do not actually need the interpretation. So they're built in a standardized and validated way where they can be administered to patients in remote without the um, presence of the provider when patients actually responding to them. But the information that is received is received objectively. So you get the best of both worlds done mm. without the provider uh, insight. I was going to say, it's definitely the best of both worlds there. And, and I love this whole world of measuring effectiveness of healthcare, because you think about healthcare and a lot of the reasons why people see it as messy is because you're dealing with people who are unpredictable and it's how they're feeling and how they report it. And, and there's a lot of variables there. So you're trying to then put it into boxes essentially, or to be able to measure it effectively. But the more and more you do that, the less and less human it might feel. So how do you find that balance between the two? So, and I guess that makes sense. You know, you look at healthcare and how it's delivered today. Often it's, it can feel more transactional because that's how it's funded and it's about the number of consults. They're the things that you can measure, but being able to measure the effectiveness of healthcare outcomes as opposed to the number of transactions. I guess that's why there's a lot more talk about value-based care. Is that right? Yes, yes, no, absolutely. And and, and I think... COVID-19, if I can just extend a little mm. bit what you just said, by many accounts serve as a wake-up call for all of us of how we approach care delivery and our healthcare system as a whole. You know, we had to uh, be nimble, flexible, and leverage technology. It is the first time that we actually took telehealth that has been there for so, so many years, and we started actually leveraging it to the point that we've seen some of our customers 
having a mandate of certain percentages of the services uh, needing to be delivered on telehealth. That sort of thinking in a value-based care model has really accelerated through COVID-19. And um, if you think of how it is implemented, I would say that the interpretation of value-based healthcare is a bit different between different parts of the world, Mm -hmm. Uh, but ultimately it all boils down to the uh, original definition of value equals outcomes over cost, where if you provide the same outcomes or improve outcomes at the same cost or lower cost, you basically delivered a better value to your patients. So say that again, the the value equals, that's the economic equation. I'm getting flashbacks from my MBA, but the the value equals. (laughs) Yes, that's the nice thing. I I knew very little about it before I was introduced to value-based healthcare, but today it's the equation that I see almost every morning when I wake up. So value equals outcomes divided by cost. Yes. So if you provide better outcomes at a lower cost, you increase the value. But also if you provide better outcomes at the same cost, again, you increase the value. So mm. ultimately, as a healthcare provider, if you've done that and you can actually see it in front of you, and this is what our platform is aiming to do, you basically provided better outcomes to your patients. Yeah, nice one. Just to stick on the value-based care thing a bit more and then tying it through to the platform a bit more too. So with the platform that you've built and some of the thinking and the ethos behind it, as a clinician, does it change much about how you perform as a clinician or is it a lot behind the scenes? Like how do you tie like the platform itself into how healthcare is delivered? What's that kind of delta there? Oh, look, that's a very long conversation, but let me just say by actually measuring, you improve what you do. So if you measure what you do and you see what your peers are doing, you aim to provide better care. So just by implementing this measurement framework, you're already improving it a lot. When you get it in real time through a platform or even the system, we now name it a system because it's it's growing in terms of functionality. If you can see it in real time and look at a patient 360 degrees in front of you, Every time before you even launch into a conversation, you're most definitely going to be improving the way that you deliver the care. Nice one. It's good to have those measures and what measures matters, right? So that's, um... I can give you an example. Uh, there's the Swedish Registry of Cataract that ran for ran measurements, I think, for a number of years. I, I don't remember exactly if it was seven or, or ten. But what came out of it is that they definitely improved the vision of the patients undergoing the surgery. But the satisfaction, the actual perception of the patient wasn't that positive. It's just that they were, uh, yes, they're improving the long vision, but the patient then all of a sudden weren't able to perform activities that they would perform before because all of a sudden they required the short vision. And the intervention did not include any provisioning of aftercare, so any prescription for reading glasses. So you get that sort of, yes, we improve the outcomes, but not those outcomes that are matter to patients. And as a clinician, if you see it in front of you, it's just as a guide of what are the patient expectations, where do they see value, and how can you provide that better value with the care that you already do. Got it. Nice one. Hey, back to the proms and prems conversation for a little bit there. Am I right in saying you were kind of in and amongst this stuff before it was a thing? I mean, it's more common now, you know, the, the talk around proms and prems and there's some interest around it, but focusing on it for some time. Have you seen some more interest in these types of measures in more recent years as you focus on it over a longer period of time? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I'll, I'll let you into a little secret. It's not going to be a secret anymore. I didn't actually know that there were cold prompts when I used to administer them. So mm. I was doing in my own world, I was doing measurements reported by patients. I implemented the remote collection of them. But as a small unit where I was operating, we couldn't really do it to all patients at the same time. So the pool was quite restrictive. But I was definitely focusing on getting the patient perspectives of their health as they transition from hospital back into community. When I learned about the problems and trends, and, and it opened this whole new world for me, and I founded the company, started traveling overseas with the first country that I went to was Singapore. And this is 2015. Not a lot of clinicians knew what problems were. And there was a lot of confusion between PREMS, PROMS, and patient satisfaction. So a lot of them were thinking that we're doing patient satisfaction and limiting, which is very important, but we were doing the whole full patient-reported measures practice. But then we started seeing almost on a yearly basis how the PROMS became a hot topic, especially for those countries that started implementing value-based healthcare, where today everybody knows what it is. But if I go back in time, back to 2015, 2016, I would hesitate to say it was about 5% of the clinicians' population that we were in discussions with. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And you touched on then that you were collecting data remotely, like using remote monitoring. Tell us a bit more about why remote monitoring is such an important piece of this whole picture. When you contact a patient to measure the outcomes, they're expecting it to be a part of a treatment. And if you're collecting subjective data and they need to report objective data, it just makes a lot more sense for the patient that sees the whole package to be reporting it at the same time. Why would a patient, for example, be reporting the symptoms in one go and then needing to come to the clinic to take their vital measures? And so by doing it in one go in remote and saving the patient the time to travel to the hospital, which sometimes, depending where they live, but in remote areas could take a whole day, it just makes a lot more sense. So this is one part of the equation. The other part of the equation, which is very interesting for the clinicians, is to be able to overlay the subjective and objective data. If you're thinking, and I need to pull some examples now for memory, but if you're thinking, for example, at a cardiologist, to be able to see the vitals alongside with depression scale scores is super important. You actually want to see both of them to be able to assess it well. Same goes, for example, if a patient undergoes a hip replacement. To be able to see the objective data reported from their census devices, how many kilometers have they walked that day or how many flights of stairs have they climbed, and overlay it with what they will be reporting from, for example, the Oxford hip score, what is their perspective of their range of motion, is again super important. So uh, these two sides of information, the two sides of data, the objective and and subjective, is where the remote patient monitoring comes in. It's funny, I remember having conversations back when Fitbits were a novelty and then the discussion started coming in about is there value in connecting different devices in so that clinicians can see some of this data and the overwhelming response even maybe five, six years ago was, well, it's more of a distraction and it's not value adding. It's hard to kind of have any confidence in this data. Why would you bother? Whereas these days, there seems to be more of a swing towards the devices are more reliable and approved and 
I think if data by itself doesn't mean anything, but if you can actually do something meaningful with it, and like you say, overlay it with something else that might uncover something new, then that gives some superpowers to clinicians that they wouldn't have previously had, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. It gives them superpowers, but it can also drown them in Mm. a lot of data. So one of our customers in the US, in fact, helped us to build in a, a new function called Prescribe. So you can actually, as a clinician, you can prescribe the amount of data that you'd like to see at a certain given point. So that clinician is a cardiologist and he wishes to see a 24 hours measurement every three months. And so Mm -hmm. instead of being sent every day, 24 hour Mm -hmm. tracing, that customer can now look at what he prescribes to the patient. So I think we, again, we're at the beginning of a journey where we'll need to see where technology meets practicalities. And the part of it is, is, is what we're trying to do. We're trying to work with clinicians and patients to make sure that we're providing value to both parties. Nice one. But then to keep that conversation going, you mentioned that in the US that feedback came out and you've worked in Singapore as well. You've seen healthcare in different parts of the world, Ron. Tell me about, you know, and putting the, the value-based care lens on for a second then. You've seen it in different parts of the world. You mentioned that in some parts it's a bit more progressed than others, would you say? Yes, I would like to maybe make a bit of a clarification here. Value-based healthcare, yes, it has one definition, but the interpretation is quite different from one country to another. And some countries are following, you know, the alternative payment models. Some others are implementing the value-based healthcare, focusing more on the measurement. We're operating in those countries that have taken it as a mandate. And whether they're moving slow or faster, we're working with them because they decided to implement it. And we're also in a, in a position to cross-pollinate a lot of the experience from one place to another. You probably would like me to mention a couple of names here. So I'll mention Singapore and Australia. Singapore started early and moved at a certain pace. Australia, we felt like it started moving around 2017, 2018, but it's moving very fast right now. So um, different flavors of implementation, different rhythms to, to implement, but the important thing is that they got started and they move in towards value-based healthcare. And so, Ron, I've seen on the clinician website and some of your resources as well, quite a few references to digital care pathways. Tell us a bit more about DCPs and what those are. So the uh, DCPs, which stands for Digital Care Pathway, are best practice step-by-step journey that patients take throughout the healthcare system from diagnosis to treatment and rehabilitation. And what we've done is we put these best practices from different countries into them. So you get, for example, a predefined schedule where patients will be contacted, the instruments that used to measure if it's their symptoms, if it's their experience, and so forward. But we also developed all the analytics visuals, so you get charts looking at all the vitals and the delta between one measure to another. You get the population health charts, which are displaying the overall quality of life of your cohort and maybe the uh, the symptoms as they're being measured on different milestones, if it's the three months, six months, or 12 months, and so forward. So this is all a pre-curated best practice package that we'll be offering for different services and different specializations. 
And lastly, then, Ron, thinking ahead about what the clinician will be working on, I imagine a lot of your focus will be on these digital care pathways. What can we look forward to seeing from the clinician over the next 6, 12, 18 months? Yes, as we focus on these uh, digital care pathways, the idea is to offer them in different marketplaces for customers to be able to subscribe to them overnight and implement them with what we call low friction. Again, this is one of the challenges that we always encounter with healthcare organizations. They want to start, but they don't know exactly where. They don't know what to measure and how. And this will give them an easy start into their journey into value-based healthcare. Amazing. Well, look, I encourage everyone to check out the clinician directory listing on our website and also the clinician website, which we'll put in the show notes of this episode, because there's some good resources for people to learn more about this space and the digital care pathways and the things we've talked about in this episode. But Ron, I really appreciate you making the time to come on and chat and look forward to speaking with you more in the THD Plus community. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Peter. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.